the questions that you have, we want to be able to bring that information to you from the experts or from ourselves. We're going to kind of jump into this one. So some of the top questions from this past month. This is the Man Up Podcast, the doctor's guide to men's health. Each week on our podcast, we interview the top specialists of the field on various topics in men's health. If you have questions that you are too afraid to ask, we have the answers. This week, our episode is titled Q&A. I'm Dr. Kevin Chu, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. Justin, you're in an airport right now, huh? Yeah, I'm currently in an airport um, trying to get back to New Jersey, actually, from San Diego. We were hanging out. We were at SMSNA, Sexual Medicine Society in North America conference which was awesome we had a great time we recorded some amazing. stuff always the best con conference in my opinion uh every year um and san diego rocks hands down best mexican food in any place do you agree uh i absolutely agree i mean anywhere in southern california san diego very good la does also have some good mexican food as well but it was a fantastic conference we got to spend a lot of time together we did some cool stuff with the podcast i'm, I'm sure if you follow us on ig you saw some of the you know we had a little bit of a higher production uh funny because now we're doing a very low production intro here but uh you know it's uh we're really excited to be able to share that and also spend a lot of time with our peers uh, who are in the same field, have the same passions to improve men's health. So it was awesome. Yeah, Kevin gave an instructional course, which was very cool to the to you know everyone there. I got to give a talk and present some data. So it was, it was uh, you know very beneficial. Uh, also, by the way, I'm wearing Cozy Earth. Shout out Cozy Earth. Shout out. Shout out Cozy, Cozy Earth. Earth. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so this week we, we were highlighting um, a lot of questions you guys asked. We asked you guys to ask some questions. You did us a favor and sent us some questions, and uh, that's what we're doing. We were doing some Q&A. Hopefully you guys uh, learn, uh, you know, it's kind of quick shooters. I think we do about five or six questions. Um, that's right. I really liked this format. I think you liked it too, right, Kev? Yes. Yeah, I think we're going to introduce it in, in the coming year. Uh, there'll be some changes with the Man Up podcast, hopefully to, you know, just – get out more information for you guys. Um, and so this format's one of the things I think we're going to kind of put into uh, kind of our regular kind of scheduling program. So yeah, I agree. Hope I you agree. enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, listen, men's health, start talking about it. We need to talk about it more. I have a mustache right now if you're watching uh, the video. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, I think we just get into it because I'm about to board this plane. Yeah, absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving guys. We'll see you after the holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. As men's health specialists, we know guys are shaving their balls. Yeah, we examine a lot of you, so we literally see it, but we also have the data showing it, too. That's right. According to research, over 85% of men trim their pubes. Not only that, but research shows that over 70% of women prefer a partner with at least partially trimmed pubic hair. So, guys... We know you're trimming the hedges, and we know that most women prefer you manscape. So if you're going to shave your balls, why not use the best men's grooming kit around? We're talking about Manscaped. With the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, you get the Lawnmower 4.0 with their all-new skin-safe electric trimmer that protects your balls from getting those cuts we've all had in the past. You also get the Weed Whacker 2.0 for trimming your nose and ear hairs. And let me tell you guys, we all need to do a better job of this. 
Yep, that's right. Kevin and I both have the performance package and we really love it. Manscaping has never been easier for us. And for our listeners, we have a special promotion. Go to manscaped.com and enter promo code MANUP and get 20% off your first purchase. Go get your Manscaped products today. Your balls and your partner will thank you. All right, so welcome to a new format that we're going to kind of experiment with. You know, over this past couple weeks, uh, we, we asked on our IG just some questions uh, that you wanted answered, uh, especially during the month of Men's Health Month. So uh, we got a lot of excellent questions, right, Justin? And uh, we're yeah. going to answer like five of them that we chose that were really interesting. And uh, we thought we could kind of give some really good and, you know, important input. Yeah, let's, I mean, uh, very important. You know, sometimes these don't deserve a full episode uh, or we've talked about them and we can kind of just bring it up again. Uh, but uh, some really good questions. Keep the questions coming because if we get enough of these questions, we can do episodes like this. And I think that's something that we're hoping to do actually in the future. You know, Q&A once in a while would be really nice. Exactly. You know, th- you know, we make these episodes because there's a lot of topics that interest us and, you know, we want to get that information out there. But, you know, most importantly, we're here to, to educate. And so the questions that you have, we want to be able to bring that information to you from the experts or from ourselves because we are we are experts as well. And uh, so, you know, we hope you kind of enjoy it. Give us some feedback feedback. And, um, you know, we're going to kind of jump into this one. So some of the top questions from uh, this past month, uh, is the first one is regarding the safety of testosterone therapy for health and longevity, you know, all over the news, a lot of these, you know, politicians or people who are running for office, you know, there, there was some comments made like, Hey, it looks like that guy's on testosterone. So, you know, what is the safety for it? And Justin, I'll let you kind of start. How safe is testosterone therapy? So I think in general, it's important to understand that there's risk for anything, right? Testosterone therapy, you know, is not God's gift to earth that some people think it is. Uh, There's risks, there's benefits with all medication. There's no perfect medication out there. So in general, though, testosterone is pretty, pretty safe. The biggest risks, which we've talked about a million times, and we're going to continue harping on is infertility. It causes infertility and the longer you use it, the more dependent you are on it, right? It it stops your testicles from functioning and that's Mm -hmm. fertility and production of testosterone. So it's something that's hard to come off with. Uh, Second thing is, you know, it doesn't cause prostate cancer, but there is a, you know, still somewhat uh, unique relationship with prostate cancer. That's a good way to put it. uh, It's not like I have treated people who have either low risk prostate cancer or who have been treated for their prostate cancer, but there's certain people you still don't want to necessarily put on uh, testosterone if they have prostate cancer. And then finally, you know, you have, this idea of, you know, it's an anabolic steroid, it adds, so it builds muscle, builds bone, but it also causes something called erythropoiesis or erythrocytosis, where you're creating red blood cells. And theoretically, that can cause, you know, clots or thickened blood uh, to the point where it could put you at risk for clots. And so we do track that um, when you are on TRT. And a lot of guys actually, we know, don't appropriately follow labs right. when, when they are on TRT. So that's the general gestalt, though. But the question then becomes the state safety 
of it long-term? Are there actual long-term benefits in terms of your health? So Kevin, what are some of those that um, we know of at least? So Justin, you, you made a good point there. And I want to just have our listeners all get on the same page here. You know, Justin and I, we give a lot of testosterone therapy, but we give it for patients who have low testosterone, all right? Yes. You're going to see a lot of, you know, clinics or these anti-aging, you know, facilities, which will say like, you know, anyone could kind of benefit from testosterone. We don't practice that way. And if you follow clinical guidelines, the treatment for testosterone therapy is for patients with low T. Now, that level is can be debatable. And we'll probably jump into a, we'll talk about that paper sometime later on about like, you know, for ages, maybe we can kind of adjust what that level is. But in general, that number for me, I use around 300 nanograms per deciliter uh, is, is considered low T. So in a patient that has low testosterone below that level, it's been shown that if you don't get that number raised up to a normal level, you have an increased risk of myocardial infarction, strokes, and just other, you know, cardiovascular related mortalities. Um, there was also paper showing that guys have increased chance of having hypertension as well as dyslipidemia or, you know, cholesterol irregularities within your blood. And so there are a lot of benefits to getting it treated when your T is low. Yeah, agree, I, I think, yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's one bad thing can often be leading to others or they're kind of all in it together. You know, it, it prevents heart, right? Treating low testosterone is preventative of heart attack and stroke. Exactly. Like you said, um, you know, it prevents high, high blood pressure or decreases your risk of high blood pressure. It decreases your risk of, you know, having uh, cholesterol issues all related to that heart attack, that stroke, but also helps, you know, with obesity and high BMI, right? Um, we know that low people with low testosterone are nearly twice as likely to be obese and right. have a high BMI. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because one of the signs and symptoms of low testosterone is low energy, low yep. motivation, yep. Uh, issues with development of muscle mass. So it all goes hand in hand there. Um, and one thing that's very interesting was that, uh, you know, looking into the data is that according to the American uh, Society uh, Diabetes Association, I apologize, if you have type 2 diabetes, you're twice as likely to suffer from low testosterone as a man without wow. diabetes. And because of that, I always screen any guy who has diabetes in my office for low testosterone. And I think that's also in our guidelines. It recommends, right. you know, people who have obesity, have low test, who, uh, who have diabetes uh, to, to screen them because there is a higher chance. Um, one interesting thing is that, you know, there was a study that showed that having higher testosterone levels can actually significantly decrease the risk of type 2 diabetes in men. And we've also seen... Or, or started to see in at least some papers suggestive of, you know, treating the, th the low testosterone can potentially treat your diabetes as well. So, you know, there is a lot of benefits of acknowledging that you have low testosterone and getting it treated. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, I, th I think we're going to keep learning more and more. You know, the one thing you touched upon about the relationship between testosterone and prostate cancer Justin's absolutely correct. Now we have patients that we've treated for prostate cancer that we have back on testosterone therapy. 
So that relationship, we don't know. And all the stuff that we kind of just cover right here are just stuff we keep learning more about the benefits of testosterone. So I think just I really stress, you know, with this topic is that yes, there's absolutely benefits to treating patients with low testosterone, as long as it's done in a very safe and monitor keyword monitor, meaning yeah. that you keep seeing us or urologists or whoever's prescribing you the testosterone for your follow up labs to make sure the things that Justin mentioned don't happen, such as the thickening of the blood or, you know, just, or your testosterone levels too high. You know, you, you can have issues if your testosterone is super therapeutic. So it, it's definitely something that not to be scared of, but it's um, something that I think uh, has a lot of benefits. I don't know if you have yeah, anything else I, to add, Justin. No, I think that's a good conclusion. I mean, I think that you just have to respect medicine. You have to respect what yeah. you're putting into your body and you have to monitor your body just like you would monitor, you know, anything else, weight loss or anything else. You want to monitor your testosterone levels if you're on a medication. And uh, overall, though, it's going to have long-term benefits for sure for your overall health, how you feel. Um, and it's definitely very safe as long as you, like you said, right. monitor it. That's right. All right, so let's go into the next uh, question that was really good. And this is actually on the topic of post-vasectomy pain syndrome. So, Justin, why don't you define post-vasectomy pain syndrome? Yeah, sure. So post-vasectomy pain syndrome is also known as chronic post-vasectomy pain is really defined as an intermittent or it's a constant pain uh, in one or both testicles for at least three months. Um, which kind of can interfere with your daily activities after you get vasectomy. Um, what's interesting is that originally it was, and I was quoting this number until I was reading about it, you know, reading up again about it again, was I always tell my patients happens at about one, 1% 1 of patients. That's, but, that's what I, you know, that's what I quote. Right. And, and there's a newer study. <laughs> it kind of suggests about 5% of patients right. may have, um, which Obviously, is not great. It's not a high number, but um, it's it not insignificant. Though. No, it's not. It's not. And, you know, I don't know what you tell your patients. I mean, uh, but I, I do tell them, I said, listen, I haven't had one yet. Knock on wood. I think I'm doing something the way that I do my vasectomies. It's just theoretical in my brain. I'm stripping it, I'm being careful, right. making sure the nerves are down. But there's no guarantee. And there's going to be a point where I'm going to see a patient with post vasectomy pain syndrome. It's just kind of the way it goes, right? You do enough of these surgeries, you're going to get a, the number. Um, but, uh, you know, in general, the vasectomy is a great, great procedure. And, you know, I, I have done, we've done a lot of, you know, conversations about vasectomy at this point. And I have seen comments from people in, in the comments, you know, on Instagram or TikTok or, or Twitter saying, Hey, I have post vasectomy pain syndrome is the worst yeah. thing that's ever happened. Don't get a vasectomy. So I think it's important to acknowledge. I don't know what your thoughts are, Kev. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that we don't know exactly what causes it, first off, right? Right. It's you know, you you because the majority of guys, you know, as you cited, only five percent in the recent study showing develop it. It's it's a it's a procedure that we do almost the same way each every time. Like Justin says, yep. you kind of strip it, you know, making sure that there's no, you know. So let's let's talk about what what is hypothetically what is causing it. It could be some sort of inflammation. Maybe there's some nerve that just happens to be under that's causing some discomfort afterwards. And you know, so for some patients, they do have some pain for like three months, and then afterwards, it kind of goes away. 
I'll, I'll go yeah. back to a story I had from uh, training. There was a patient that uh, that had a vasectomy done probably about five years before, and just had this persistent pain and had been on a couple anti-inflammatories, some steroids, and just couldn't get the pain away. And so we actually ended up doing a vasectomy reversal, and the patient's pain improved. Post-op semen analysis showed sperm in the ejaculate, but his pain improved. But we didn't meld together his nerves, you know? We, right. <laughs> so it's, it's something that – and so there could be, you know – I think some of these papers touch on it, and Justin, I, I like your opinion on it too. But there, there could be like some psychological component to it, right? I think so. Potentially, I think there is always a. We've had those patients. It's very rare. So first off, we're gonna. I'm gonna preface this where there's a lot of studies out there where they ask about regret in terms of vasectomy. Yes. And overwhelmingly, no one regrets their vasectomy. Overwhelmingly, that is true. Now, are there people who potentially do? Yes. I know that Kevin's seen one or two. I have probably seen one or two. And it's a moral dilemma. It's usually some other kind of thing. And right. can that impact it? Potentially. But but I also think that that's the smaller percentage of who people who have post-vasectomy right. pain. Right. I do think, like you said, that there is this inflammatory nerve yeah. component that you often treat with oral medications, pharmaceutical interventions for a while. For a lot of people that I've seen, it's worked. If you need to, you can do a, a cord denervation. You can do mm -hmm. a vasectomy reversal like you have done. Um, so there are options is the bottom line. You know, right. it's a low risk thing, but but there are options for, for it. One thing that I wanted to bring up that was interesting that when I was looking at this again, um, was they looked at that meta-analysis that said 5% uh, of post-vasectomy pain syndrome uh, prevalence. They looked at the scalpel versus no scalpel techniques. Mm. Uh, there's two, usually two different approaches for which you can do a vasectomy. I do no scalpel. I believe Kevin also does no scalpel. That's correct. I don't know. There's no difference. There was no difference in risk of post-vasectomy pain syndrome. So once again, you know, uh, but they did say that post-surgery, post-vasectomy, post-vasectomy pain in general is a little bit less in the no scalpel, but the overall risk of post-vasectomy pain syndrome is, is equal in both procedures. But I mean, it, does, it doesn't even make sense to me because a no scalpel technique is, it's just kind of how you're getting into the skin. Right? Correct. <laughs> like, I agree. Yeah. I agree. That's why I, I, and so like, I think the point is if you, I would just ask how your doctor does it, and however they do it, that's the way you should do it. I, I, I don't think it really makes a difference. So you shouldn't right. be, be scared of doing it. No scalpel versus scalpel. It's, it's literally kind of, it's the same exact thing. Like you just said, I just, I just don't like using. It. I just like to poke a little hole and boop. It's just, it's just it, faster. It's faster. Yeah. It's not like you're not. The skin is being open. We can't get inside your. We can't get to the back. Right. That's a common question, um, right? That's a common yeah. question. Though. Every guy's like, oh, so if you're not using a scalpel, you're just like magically getting past the skin. I'm like, no, nah, we're still opening it up. It's still happening. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, listen, at the end of the day, post-vasectomy pain syndrome is real. There's a low chance of it, but it's not zero, as I tell my patients. And there's ways to treat it if we need to. So, you know, if you're struggling with post-vasectomy pain syndrome, also 
you know, go talk to a urologist, go talk to a specialist yep. because there are people who do handle this, including Kevin and I. That's correct. All right. So that was good. Let's move on to the next topic. This topic is, you know, uh, it's a, it's a heavily debated topic. So uh, I think we'll kind of discuss here. We'll probably play a little devil's advocate here just to kind of get a little bit of both sides. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good point. Good idea. But uh, it, it was, this was actually a great topic brought up and it's on post finasteride syndrome. Is it real? Is it not real? So let's discuss. Kevin, start start us off with just giving us a def. Like, what is what is finasteride? What does it do? Who uses it? Why do we use it? All right, that's or why that's, do other people use it. That that's a great um, you know foundation. So first off, finasteride. Finasteride is a medication uh, that that basically is stopping the conversion of testosterone to its active form. All right, it's dihydrotestosterone. Right, that that's basically what the medication does. And it's approved for use for patients with enlarged prostates. So when you give it to a patient with an enlarged prostate, it will actually shrink it. In about six months, you can get upwards of about 40 to 50% shrinkage of the prostate. So when you think about that, that's great for some of these guys who don't want to undergo surgery uh, to improve their symptoms. If you shrink the prostate, you will get improvement in the symptoms. So that's really great. And they also saw as kind of like an off-label kind of use for it was that Patients with male balding uh, were actually getting some hair regrowth on the medication. And so those are its main uses that guys use it. Guys with male balding, they would take about one gram of the finasteride daily. And for guys with an enlarged prostate, we're taking about five grams daily. So that's finasteride and what it does. So it's a, it's a great medication and it's effective, right, Justin? I mean, I, I use it in certain cases uh, for my patients. I know we've talked about this in the past, but... Um, you know, for some of my older patients who can't undergo surgery, I still go like, look, as we'll discuss more about, you know, its issues, but I still find that they have really good effect. I mean, you're not the only one. I think I stand on strongly on the other side of this. I hate this medication. I don't prescribe it to anyone. I'd rather do surgery on them. I tell people to stop this medication immediately because of post finasteride syndrome. Now, Basically, post-finasteride syndrome really started when people were taking it. And, and I think for when you see post-finasteride syndrome, you mostly see it in those younger guys who are treating their alopecia. Right. Why? Because, you know, they're more sexually activated. And, and right. I think it does happen in these older guys. But, you know, they're old and they're like, oh, I'm just getting old. So I don't really think That's it's true. a problem. Um, but really what's going on is that, you know, there were reports that, People, after they stopped finasteride, like for, you know, at least three months, um, they had these persistent sexual, neuropsychiatric, physical symptoms. And, you know, currently it's pretty controversial because there's no, like, there's no data. There's no, like, lab that I can be right. like, you have post-finasteride syndrome. Right. You know, these symptoms include things like decreased or complete loss of libido, lower, no, lower, no sexual reaction to any sexual stimulation, erectile dysfunction, loss of pleasure or absence of sensation and orgasm, loss of genital sensitivity, um, decrease in ejaculated volume, poor semen quality and infertility, penis shrinkage, abnormal penis curvature, Peyronie's disease, testicle pain, testicle size reduction. 
<laughs> gynecomastia, you know, chronic fatigue, muscle weakness, muscle atrophy, you know, slow thinking, memory problems, joint pain, anxiety, panic attacks, emotional detachment, insomnia. There, it's, it's a very generalized thing, but it comes in like this massive wave. Um, and I don't know if you've seen patients, but I have seen patients for post-finasteride syndrome. And I will tell you, no offense to them, because it's just a horrible, horrible thing. It's a very, it's hard for me to treat. And it's, it's hard for us to treat because I can't point to anything and be like, all right, we can treat this. We can do this. It, a lot of it is unfortunately supportive care. Now, what the prevalence rate of this is, who knows? It's very low. I would say less than 1% by far, but is it zero? No. And from my standpoint, when I look at this and I look at the guys who have had this and their struggle, I don't think it's worth giving it to anyone because if you're one of those people, you know, it's horrible. Now, I don't know. Some people also say it's not real. There's also data suggesting it's not real, right? Like right. there's a lot of different data out there. There's a lot of different combating studies. They've done a lot of clinical trials looking at post-finasteride syndrome, comparing the, like finasteride versus placebo. And actually some of the placebos had higher risk of post-finasteride syndrome. So, you know, it's a very controversial subject. Where I stand on it is I believe it's 100% real. I am against finasteride. I'm against the tasteride. I, don't, I want all the ides. I want all the five out cases out of my system, out of my patient system. But I know I am probably in the minority there. Kevin, tell me your thoughts. It's tough. And, it, you know, this kind of brings me back to when we were going through training, I, I think one of um, uh, we, we had some uh, one, one of these uh, visiting professors come and talk to us about it. And it was heavily debated at that time. For me, you know, when I when I start any patient on medications, I always tell them, hey, look, here are the potentials. This is an option and these are your alternatives, right? And so I always preface it. So if you know, like, for me, like, yeah, it's the, the percentage chances of this happening are not high from, from the studies shown, right? Right. Very low. Not even very not high. low. Very, very, very low. Very, very, very low. There's a lot of patients who take this medication and never deal with it. But you are right. I have, you know, seen and worked with patients that have been on the other end where they're like, yeah, like I, ever since I took it, like, you know, five years later, I still have low libido. My erections suck. And they're young, you know, these are things you don't usually see happening. So, you know, I, I recognize that it's definitely a possibility, but I, I do see a lot of benefits for the medication. And so as long as you're appropriately counseled on it, uh, I'm okay with it. Now, there was this recent JAMA paper um, yeah. that highlighted it because they really wanted to take a look to see its effect on mental health or like just suicidality, depression, or anxiety. And they actually found that there was a disproportionate signal of these three associated with finasteride use for alopecia in patients younger than 45 years old. Um, and so, you're, again, that's really important that, you know, patients who are taking this for, you know, hair restoration, is, you should be appropriately counseled on this. Because if you start taking this, these are real things that could potentially happen. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a scary paper, right? Increased yeah. risk of suicidality and psychological adverse events associated in, in men taking 
taking finasteride for alopecia under the age of 45. So, you know, obviously we have to, we're still learning, right? I think that's the other thing here. We're still learning about medications and the impacts. Um, And that's just the way that medicine is, you know, it's a, it's, we're, we're human after all. Um, and, And, you know, sometimes that's how, how medications you find out things where they get enough yeah. people on a medication that the risk of it is 0.0001% chance, but you put a 10 million people on it, it becomes a significant amount of people. That, that's a great point. That, that's a fantastic point because this medication, finasteride, detesteride, it's been around for a long time. This isn't yeah. like this is a you know 10-year-old drug. No, this is a drug that's been used for a long time. And you're absolutely correct. When we reach that critical mass of how many patients it was prescribed for, that small percentage became a non-insignificant amount of people that were dealing with certain issues. So, yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the problem with once again, with this is treatment. Um, it's a lot of counseling. It's checking labs. I do full panels. Yeah. Try to offer some medications if I can. A lot of it though, in general, I think it does often resolve in four to five years. Um, yeah. But you know, it, there's no guarantee. So a lot of that is kind of just, you know, being there for your patient. And, uh, but like, I, like you said, you know, a lot of people are on these medications. Uh, a lot of people, including family members I have are totally fine on these medications. Uh, but you know, for me, I'm staying away, <laughs> but for a lot of people, they are, are going to take it. So I think the risks and benefits is important. Yeah, and you know, for for our listeners who who feel like they're they're kind of going through this, one absolutely see a urologist. See, you know, that yes. there's definitely things we can kind of help out with or check up, make sure something else isn't going on. But two, there's actually, you know, I, I looked at it. There are great support groups on the internet for post finasteride syndrome patients. Um, there's websites with great forums, and those are really good areas to get information as well as just to be able to talk to other people who are kind of going through. Uh, similar things. Um, yeah. All right. So that was good. That was PFS. So now we're going to talk about another subject, another great question. I want to really let Justin take the reins on this because he's published on it. I think he's been interviewed on it before in certain media, um, uh, you know, articles. But uh, the topic is pink pearly papules. Justin, take it away. So pink pearly papules, triple P, as we we in the, in the biz call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's actually kind of a dermatological issue more often, but you know, skin on the penis, there's a little bit of a crossover often with dermatology. Um, I published a paper on pink pearly papules with Dr. Carl Sardi, who's a guest on the podcast before. Um, but basically what they are, these little, we call angiofibromas on, uh, the glands penis and kind of also on the Corona, the glands is the mushroom and the Corona is, you know, that little connecting area, uh, underneath the mushroom. Um, and it's actually, they're they're pretty common. They're seen in about 30% of males and actually a little bit of higher, uh, uh, higher prevalence in African-Americans too, uh, where there are basically little dots that are flesh colored colored looking. They're like less than a millimeter in size and they're, they're located around that Corona pretty much. And, you know, they come around during puberty and Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, it's kind of one of those things that they're there. They don't, the important things, you know, is it doesn't cause pain. You know, they don't like increase in size. They're kind of just stable. And the problem with these is that often they can get confused for genital warts or some other lesions. Uh, there's something called uh, venerophobia where a lot of, you know, men freak out. They think that they have an STD or they mm -hmm. go to get it treated for as an STD. Um, and it can cause increased stress. Now, I don't know about you, but I have seen some pink pearly papules that have been so distressful to the patient that they asked me to do surgery. And what I did was I treated them just as I treated genital warts, even mm -hmm. though they are not genital warts and I've done laser CO2 to treat it, which is totally an acceptable thing. I usually try not to, but um, if it's something that's obviously really bothering the patient or sometimes their partners are worried, they're like, what is this? I don't know what this is. Um, it's a reasonable thing to do. Um, but I think the counseling here is the most important thing. You know, if you're worried you have general warts or you have something on your penis, go talk to your primary care doctor, talk to your urologist, talk to your dermatologist. I don't know, Kevin, how often do you have patients asking about pink pearly papules? Yeah, I've, I've seen it a, a good fair amount. And, you know, I don't blame them. Like if I saw something on my <laughs> penis like this, I'd be like, oh, no, did I catch or contract something? And I want to find out what's going on. And uh, I, I liked uh, that you mentioned, yeah, there are certain patients who want to get it treated. Like, you know, I, I counsel and go like, look, there's nothing, this is, this is, you know, it's a normal thing. Don't worry about it. But yeah, they want to get it treated. One important thing I always want to mention about any sort of treatment um, is that anytime you under, undergo some of these laser things, which I do too, that's the same exact thing that I do for right. these patients who want it treated is that you're going to have potential skin discoloration at that area where right you get point. it treated. And so if you want, and I, I always tell patients, if your or if your goal is to have this like perfect looking penis at the coronasulcus area, it's not going to happen. You're still going to have some sort of slight discoloration or scarring. Benefits are there if you have genital warts. For this, you know, it's it's not going to cause you issues going further. So, but I still respect it. I'm like, yeah, I, I understand it. It's pretty, you know, if you have a lot of it, um, definitely getting treatment or getting them removed uh, is something that I warrant and I, I, I do honor, you know? Yeah. Now, what what would look different as a general wart than a pink pearly papule? Well, first off, the location, right? It, usually, it, it, general warts will kind of be everywhere. Pink pearly papules are right there, usually right at that coronosulcus area. Yeah. And additionally, general warts are more, the way I describe them as like cauliflower, they're going to be a little bit more raised, they can increase in size, and uh, they're, they're, it's not as punctate as, I guess that's the way I kind of describe it. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that makes sense. They're like, pink pearly papules are literally just like, they're perfectly circumferential, they're, yeah. you know, they're like, if you think about something benign that's not trying to spread or trying to, <laughs> it's literally kind of a pretty, it's, it's, it's pearly. It's a little pretty little <laughs> thing on there, but can be alarming for a lot of people. But, right. you know, in general, I think um, it's something that's safe. It's nothing to worry about. We can treat it if we really want. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, if you have any questions and you're not sure, go talk with your doctor. Yep, exactly. All right, let's jump into the next question. This was an excellent question. Um, and the topic was, can marijuana cause fertility issues? Now, 
Before we jump into this, there was actually an excellent episode that we did with Dr. Rena Malik that we really kind of delved into this in a little bit in detail. Uh, it was, yeah, I can't remember the exact episode number, but uh, that was a great episode. So I highly recommend to our listeners, if this is a question you want answered a little bit in more in depth, then I'd go tune into that episode. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll kind of talk about it in general here about, you know, marijuana. I, you know, this is a common question. Guys will come to both Justin and I during their male fertility evaluations and be like, you know, we, we run through all the lifestyle things and then, you know, always towards the end, they're like, well, you know, I you know, smoke a little bit of marijuana, you know, does this affect my fertility? So Justin, does it affect our sperm counts? So I think it's kind of hard because in general, but you know, the data suggests that it can reduce your sperm concentration. It can reduce your sperm count, induce abnormalities in sperm morphology and reduce more more motility of sperm yeah. uh, and viability and also inhibit capacitation, which is, you know, how the egg gets, uh, the sperm gets into the egg um, and fertilizing capacity. But What's the inherent problem with the, the studies that we're, we're citing here, Kev? Well, first off, a lot of these are done in animals, right? Right. And so these are, we, so in medicine, there's two ways to kind of study things. You can study them in humans, or we use animal models to try to extract or, you know, try to relate them to how they would affect in humans, but it's never perfect. And so animal models actually demonstrate that if you give them cannabis, they're going to cause testicular atrophy, they're going to have lower libido and sexual function. But when we kind of have tried to do those in human studies, we're not really seeing those results. Now, that, so that's a main limitation. So theoretically, yeah, does, can it cause reduced sperm counts? Yes. Concentration. And it's been shown in, in some things, I think, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's it, the the answer is not definitive. The way well, I counsel my how do, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. How do you counsel your patients? So how do I counsel my patients? And I, I think we we've kind of gone over this before. But if you're in my office and you're concerned about fertility, or you're coming here and you're like, hey, yeah, you know, I just want to check out my fertility. I go like, look, there's something that's bring you here. So you have to really take into consideration what you do may cause an impact, and we can't give you a for sure. Other common things right. that guys ask, you know, if I drink alcohol, is that causing infertility issues? Um, smoking is a little more definitive. Smoking is like a really definitive thing. But like, I can't say like, well, if you have one glass of wine a week, that's causing your infertility. No, right? right? Probably not. But again, just fertility is such a gray area. It's, it, it's, it's hard to say. So I go like, look, if you're really trying right now, don't ever think back and be like, well, I kind of regret that I kept smoking marijuana and haven't been able to have a kid, even though we can't definitively state that that's what caused it. That's how I counsel my patients. Yeah. I mean, the way I say it is, listen, how much are you smoking? First off, I always ask. And then I say, like, how important is it to you? <laughs> because <laughs> I, I think that the problem with things like especially marijuana is you know in these monkey studies most of it is like monkey studies right. um you can say this is exactly how many grams of weed we gave this for this monkey yeah. got it high awesome studies by the way like the coolest <laughs> studies ever yeah um uh but in humans like i don't know what 
one gram of smoking weed versus five grams of edibles versus and doing it how many times a day versus every other day. We, you, you can't quantify these things. Like, is this more potent marijuana more likely to cause fertility issues than this less potent, like a sativa versus whatever indica, like who knows? We just don't know. So my, my, when I explain that to patients, I, I say, listen, if you're really serious about it, I'd say reduce it as much as possible. If you can reduce it completely, get rid of it. But if it's something important, I would say, limit it as, as much as you can. I don't know what a healthy or unhealthy level is, but there is data suggesting it's probably not good for your sperm. Just like anytime you put some foreign ob- like body thing, you're inhaling something, a drug, and we could, we should have a whole drug talk at some point with fertility, yeah. but, um, I'm talking about medical drugs, of course, but, uh, you know, I think in general, if you want to be smart about it, just don't do it. Like you said. Yeah. Look again, if you're, when you're trying to conceive, if you're having issues, you have to look back and see what's potentially going on, especially if you're work up and you, you know, it's like, Oh, well, like, you know, I, I mean, that's something we'll kind of dig into in another time, but if your workup's still normal and there's still like issues with infertility, I always go like, look, there's some things that we can't measure. Like as much right. as we, as much as we try to understand fertility, there's still so much that we don't know. And so if, if things aren't still working, you know, there, of course there's awesome stuff like IVF or IUI and stuff like that. But if that's not like within your financial means, think about lifestyle. I, I stress that to all my patients. Think yeah. about lifestyle. There's guidelines on it now, just like trying to run through, um, certain lifestyles. And I guess that kind of relates to the last question that we'll talk about here. You know, before we, you know, we were talking about marijuana, but now can vaping cause fertility issues? Now, I think Joel was a lot more popular a couple years ago. It's kind of, uh, he got banned, he got, got banned, banned, but he got banned. But you know, I don't, I don't, maybe because I'm in California, I don't see it as much more uh, as often as I was seeing it before. I don't know about you. I don't believe that. <laughs> Everyone's vaping in Miami. Everyone has the little, the little, uh, like these little QB things. I don't know. This the cube smoking easy cigarettes. Like, uh, yeah. And I was talking to some guy who owns a liquor store recently and he says he doesn't even make money off of liquor store. The liquor in Miami, the margins are better for the e-cigarettes in Miami. He makes all his money off of e-cigarettes. So it's definitely not going anywhere. Um, and, and and that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so, you know, e-cigarettes, even those which are nicotine free contain many harmful substances. I'm sure that's no surprise to anyone, right? You have some EDCs, endocrine disrupting chemicals, you know, which can disrupt your hormones. Uh, you, uh, you can have, and they can also uh, impact your sperm theoretically, right? Um, they can't be necessarily considered the best most healthy alternative to smoking, probably the most al- healthy alternative to smoking is just not smoking anything. <laughs> That's but, absolutely but right. What have some of the studies shown, Kevin? So, um, so studies have taken a look on the effects of e-cigarettes on the male reproductive system have mostly, again, similar to the marijuana stuff, been, you know, in animal models, right? Right. And the data, though, has suggested that vaping leads to 
you know, really harmful alterations to the cells, tissues, and organs in the male reproductive system. And so it's, it's more so than the, the marijuana ones, but it, it's shown that it's pretty much that this is bad for you. This is not good for your fertility. Same with like, cigarettes, very definitive. E-cigarettes, pretty much similar. I, that's what I would say. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, you know, you're smoking something, you're putting something that causes inflammation is the way that I, it's a foreign object causing inflammation in your body. We know infection reduces your semen count and your fertility. Um, any inflammatory process when you have chronic illness, when you have cancer. So why not being a chronic smoker or chronic uh, vapor, wouldn't that do the same thing to you? That's just how my brain works. But once again, that we need data. That's just how my brain works. That doesn't mean that's actually how it works, right? Because I, that's one thing that I hate is when people say, if you think about it, this is it. Well, I'm thinking about it, but I'm also telling you, I don't have data to support this idea. So, but we do have some data in animal model, models showing that it's not good for you. Is that why? I don't know, but maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I I, I completely agree with you. Like, it's, there's no way as a physician, I'm going to sit here and spin it that this is positive for you. That, that's a for sure. You know, (laughs) these are, these are foreign objects that you're putting into your body. We, we don't even know if e-cigarettes, you know, we we don't know what kind of oils or whatever stuff that they're using to put in there is going to cause lung issues in like 15, 20 years. We have no idea. Um, and so until there's further studies on it, uh, again, the animal studies, I think, are enough to abstract from it that hey, these, these are harmful, especially if you're trying to conceive and you're having issues. Don't get me wrong. There's probably many patients, or not even patients, people who are smoking and vaping a lot have no issues conceiving. And you know they are very fortunate that that inflammation levels probably just don't reach high enough um, within their tissues. But For other patients, if you're having trouble, you have to seriously consider that this could be contributing. Yeah. You know, one thing that I wanted to bring up that I don't know the answer to, and I don't think anyone has the answer to, is Zin pouches. Uh, I don't know if you know what Zin pouches are. They're these nicotine pouches that I think you can swallow them. You don't have to spit them. It's not like regular dip. Um, Now, I've had a couple patients recently on, they don't smoke. They say, listen, I stopped smoking and this is how I I've overcome my smoking uh, habit. I zin for the nicotine and they ask it, is that bad for my fertility? My answer is probably, <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> it's not smoke. I don't know. That's interesting. You're absorbing it in through your lip. I don't know what's in it, but I'm guessing it's probably some other chemicals, not just nicotine. Because I don't think in, in general nicotine is going to do anything. No. So it, I mean, I mean, like if you're using a nicotine, it's definitely patch. probably better. I don't know. I don't know if it's better or not. I don't want to say it, that. I don't want. Don't don't take me for that. Don't say do zin. I'm not saying do zin. Yeah, but I, I think patients who use nicotine patches, that's not causing infertility, is it? I don't think so. I don't think so, but I don't know if Zen is more. I don't know what's in Zen. I've never, I've That's never true. looked at it. I don't have one. I don't do Zen, so I don't know. But like, it's got to absorb through your lip, like somehow, right? I don't know if it's. There's got to be some other chemicals involved. 
probably. But I mean, that's that's a whole topic on <laughs> endocrine disruptors, environmental pollution, which which we'll talk about. We have some which we will come up. Yeah, there will be some, there'll be some there'll be a good episode coming up on that stuff. So, um, but that's but about yeah, it. I think, yeah, I think that was this was really fun. I liked this a lot. Um, yeah. It's good to just, you know, get some answers to some questions that people want to know. So I think, guys, just keep asking questions because yeah. we're taking notes. You can, you know, you can always email us your questions, too, uh, at, you know, what's our email address again? It is themanuppod at gmail.com. There you go. I actually truly did not know. I, I totally And not. if that doesn't, if that bounces back, then I'm going to have to get back to you. <laughs> what the, really, I don't have my I, phone because we're going to. I think, I think it's the man it, up pod at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the man up pod at, at gmail.com. Uh, so you can ask us there. You can slide into the DMS or always um, maybe once a month, we'll start putting up some uh, that question thing again. Uh, but I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Cause I know Kevin and I did uh, download, subscribe, give us a review five stars. Always appreciated. Um, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, x however you call it um and and that and as youtube is big we're, we got the cameras now we're doing the camera thing double camera here so please follow us on youtube uh anything else kev no nah, i think that's it i i think this is a great format if you guys absolutely hate it and just want us to go back to the other ways just uh let us know <laughs> yeah that's a great point yeah let us know if you like this because uh i'd like to do more of this absolutely all right guys until next time have a good one.